Hello, and what is up, everyone? Welcome to the MJ Sportscast Show, Episode 4. My name is Mike Tang, joined by my co-host, Jerry Yang. Hey, what's up, everyone? Ready to talk sports, and there's definitely a lot to talk about this week. Yeah, so we had uh, the World Series um, this week to to kind of start among a lot of things there. And we also had, uh, I believe, Week 7 of the NFL that just completed two, moving on to uh, to Week 8. And uh, we also have possibly some NBA news about a uh, possible proposal to start the season um, in late December. So uh, where do we want to start first, Jerry? I'll be first. Um, I know it's the end of the season, so... Uh, I think overall, the 2020 season was quite unusual, as we all know, because COVID um, down to 60 games instead of the usual uh, 162. Overall, as a fan, I actually really enjoyed it. I thought um, every game was more meaningful, Mm -hmm. and every team seemed like they had a shot to at least make the playoffs, and once you're in the playoffs, who knows what happens. I know in the end, the best team with the best record did win, um, but it, it just meant a lot more. Um, when a guy goes on the 10-day DL, um, yeah, DL um, on a normal season, it would just be like any other game but or any other time and not a big impact. But with a six-game season, a guy missing 10 games, that's a sixth of your season. And that yeah. has a huge impact no matter what. Even the the players are not superstars missing that time is a big deal. And so from a fan's viewpoint, I, I thought it was enjoyable. I know ticket sales have been plummeting. Um, I believe there's a big drop off from um, 10 billion last year to 3 billion. And, you know, employees and ticket sales were obviously non-existent. Um, so there was a big hit financially from MLB. But as a fan, I, I thought the format was great. And I know it's been since 1962 when the 162-game season format started. So that's quite a long time. And I, w- I would want MLB in the future to kind of consider dropping games a little bit if they can afford it, right? Obviously, financially, and players union probably wouldn't want that to happen. But I think the benefits are there. You definitely saw more offense as well the pitchers never really got into their groove and never really got um built their strength so you do see a little bit more offense which is also more enjoyable and i think there was fewer injuries because of that as well as uh, the season grinds on you have more and more players that are uh, playing rare on their body whereas 60 games or you know fewer than 162 you kind of help with that situation as well so mike what do you think about it so um, I guess just to play devil's advocate here, I would say that maybe some viewers or some fans, they may think that a 60-game season in compared to a 162-game season is um, that, that winning the title in such a short season um, is not really, um, you know, well worth it or that they don't see it much as an, of an accomplishment because they didn't play those extra a hundred or so games that a typical major league baseball player would play there. Do you see, do you see that kind of happening or do you see uh, people putting an asterisk on some of these titles that are won this year? You know, I, I think there's certainly some truth to that, right. Um, in some ways where of course, 162 games, anything could happen. The Dodgers, I think was a deserving team in the end of the day because of a lot of challenges that every team had to face through. Um, I know previous years, it was probably, if you're comparing to previous years, then sure, it's probably not as deserving or whatever it is. But I think there's a new set of challenges with this year, a new set of, um, you know, I I think the team definitely had to pay more of a, there's less games if you think about players per game and the and the contrast that they gave. Um, so the the ownership definitely felt that grind, but I do get where you're coming from. Where you know this is a lesser of a season, so the title gets a little bit diminished. Um, but I think in the future the, the league should consider something like this, right? Maybe having 150 games to start out with. I, I, 
And I think with that less of a drop off, it wouldn't be as much as a sixty game diminish, right? <laughs> so obviously this is an unusual circumstance why we're here, right? And you just can't account for that. And would I give asterisks to the World Championship? Probably in some ways, but not, it wouldn't be as big of an asterisk as last year with the Astros cheating, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is something I think it's isn't fair to the Dodgers in a lot of ways because they it's beyond their control. Um, would they want to play 162 games? Heck yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure they would, right? right? <laughs> but it just didn't lay out, so I wouldn't blame them per se. I wouldn't want to punish them because of circumstances they couldn't control. Whereas the Astros, they had total control of not cheating, right? So I think the situation was a little bit different there. Yeah, and the Dodgers, in my opinion, are a very deserving team. They're actually on pace to win 116 games if they were to play out the full schedule there, which is a, a whole lot of games to win um, during the regular season. Um, they were the best team in each month um, during the short season so far. And they actually had to win more postseason games, uh, 13 games instead of the usual 11 games um, that a typical year or typical playoff format uh, would consist of. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Did they add more games? Yeah, to the they added like oh, an extra okay. round there because of the because of the ex, because of the expanded playoff uh, format that oh, that included okay. a few more That's teams right. per uh, per um, per league there. So they actually have to win a couple more postseason games um, there too. And uh, you know, lastly, I think like the bubble type environment that you're constantly in is pretty stressful. So that's why I commend like the Lakers. I commend like the Dodgers there for kind of adhering, um, you know, to the to the rules and regulations that MOB has put forth in terms of COVID nineteen. So um, if the only con is that they they only have to play a 16, 60 game season during the regular season, I don't think it's justifiable um, in comparison um, to all the barriers that the that the team has to you know, move forward with. Yep. I completely agree. Uh, it's definitely stressful to be in that team bubble environment. I know their bubble wasn't as strict as in the NBA, right. but it was still a little bit stressful with the team being within their facilities and having to be constantly tested and, you know, not being extra careful all the time. I know we'll talk later about, you know, the COVID situation with Justin Turner. But, um, but yeah, I definitely get your point. And that, that definitely adds to it. I think the challenges for that, previous years, teams didn't have to face that, right? So if you want to play, you know, comparing apples to apples, that's another plus to, you know, the Dodgers championship. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, totally agree. Yeah, let's, um, let's talk about the World Series. Um, I know we've seen a lot of world series games um the past 20 25 years here how would you rate this world series in comparison to the other ones that we've seen lately so i think overall i thought it was an enjoyable playoffs all around um even even like the earlier rounds um i thought were pretty close nail biting for most of the games and a lot of teams like the Braves got in there i thought was awesome and you know, just just little t- um, smaller venue teams that that took it pretty far. Um, I commend those teams, and I actually really enjoyed seeing new faces and new teams there. And as far as the World Series goes, I thought it was more enjoyable than the M- NBA Finals altogether. I think um, there was a lot of good moments. Um, so if I want to break it down, I would say games one to three was a little bit status quo, right? A little bit more of a, your typical playoffs. But I think what really capped off the playoff or the World Series, rather, sorry, the World Series run, um, I think was actually came in game four. Um, There was so many back and forth, so many lead changes. And I think the pen was starting to get worn out at that point. So we saw a lot more scoring. Uh, There was definitely a lead change on every ending. And it came down to one amazing ending where um, Rose and fell and it was still able to have a walk-off um, score on the error, right? So that was quite the moment there. I thought that was really enjoyable. And then that gave all the momentum to the Rays um, going into game five. And then game five was definitely more of a pitcher's duel. Uh, it was very close scoring. And I think 
World Series comes down to different moments, and there was definitely a big moment in that game where um, Mar Margot got out at home uh, while Kelamir was on bat and failed to steal that base at home. And I think that was a huge moment for the team. Um, I blame Kevin Cash in a lot of ways for green lighting um, his ability to steal for Margot to be able to even go for it. I know Marco said it was his decision and all that stuff, but why why give him that decision? Right. And I think uh, Kershaw was actually struggling at that point. Mm -hmm. He definitely looked off. His pitches were more sporadic, and that out just gave him an easy um, gave him an easy out at the end to end the inning. And I thought the um, thought the Rays could have really made the Dodgers pay there if they haven't gotten that out. And then in Game Six, um, I believe um, Kevin Cash pulling Blake Snell too early was a big moment. I know that's talked about like in all the news outlets, and I totally agree with that. I mean, at that point, he had nine strikeouts, uh, one hit, and gave up no walks. And after just giving one out single to Austin Barnes, um, uh, Kevin Cash pulled him, and they had that Seager and Turner coming up as well. So that 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 was a huge moment. I know maybe analytics might be the reason why he pulled him out, um, but definitely definitely thought it was a bad move, and it reminded me of Russell T's being pulled out by Dusty Baker or Felix Rodriguez. Right, it's one of those type of moments I think that shifted the momentum of that game as well. Um at that point they were leading by one zero and then not any they were able to, uh, the Dodgers were able to take the two one lead. So yeah. um overall great World Series, lots of drama. Um I really enjoyed getting to know a lot of the Rays players, getting deeper to know a lot of the Dodger players. Um, just watching the series, you kind of get all the nuances of each each player. And I know my team wasn't in it, <laughs> so I had to pull for you know for you know both teams in some ways. And it just knowing these team these players a little bit better, and knowing the styles of each of the batters, styles of each of the pitchers, it was a fun series. And that that to me made it more enjoyable than the NBA Finals, and also the fact that it was much closer of a series. Um, so Mike, what do you think about it? I think you were watching some of the games with me as well. <laughs> yeah, online, so. I mean, I agree with you there. I think the first three games, um, were pretty high scoring actually were pretty entertaining. Um, game four was self-explanatory with the, um, with the amazing walk-off, uh, double there, uh, game five, I kind of disagree with you. Um, I think Kershaw, he was, um, I don't think he was struggling as much as you thought he was. When uh, Kimaru was at bat, I believe it was a two-strike count um, there. Mm -hmm. And um, I actually think that if if you're the team that is least talented than the other, I think you have to take more risk there. So I think being able to try to steal home when you have a left-handed pitcher and his back is turned against you and he also has a slow delivery to home plate, I actually don't mind the play at all. Of course, when it comes to analytics, it's not a good play because you don't want to, um, you don't want to be thrown out and give away out there. That's that's definitely the anti-analytic way of thinking. <laughs> but I I actually like the play, and it just didn't work out during that game. So, do you agree that 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 play turned that game, or do you think there was another moment in that game that? That shifted momentum because I think uh, at that point they were down still, but it looked like they got things going. I know there was a few innings where they had two on with no outs and they weren't able to to convert those into runs, right? So I think those were probably some contributing factors. But what I do you think, think that Margold on third had a feeling that um, the batter was not going to come through there. So even if the if the batter struck out or he got thrown out, I think the result would have been the same. And there would have been like other moments during the game that the Rays could have came back to win game five. But unfortunately, they didn't. Um, in terms of game six, Blake Snell, I mean, he was um, he was dealing like you mentioned um, there. He gave up a single Austin Barnes. And uh, yeah, I just... You know, this is where analytics really comes to fail in my mind there because, you know, the eye test proves that, okay, Austin, you know, Blake Snell, he can, he can get through this inning and that he's been unstoppable or 
unhittable um, throughout the game. And to just pull him out after I think like 69, 69, yep. 70 pitches, he didn't, he didn't even really have a even pre 100. Yeah. Too, <laughs> Nowhere so. close to 100. Yeah. But, um, you know, that's just part of the game, or that's just part of being a manager is that you're going to be second guess. If, if you pull him out and the reliever, you know, shut down, shut the door after, he, he would be applauded. But unfortunately, Kevin Cash will forever be known as kind of like the GOAT for doing that. Yeah, I think putting in Anderson was also a big mistake. The guy was giving up runs in almost every single appearance that he had in the World Series, and it it, it was just unfortunate. Maybe it was the the um, pitcher that he put in was the mistake rather than you know making that move. Um, I would have at least kept him one more inning, you know, but I'm not there to pay be paid the big bucks, right? So yeah, and uh-huh. I believe these moves are these these predetermined moves is not really like one manager's decision is usually an organization uh, decision um, there. So I don't think we should be faulting Kevin Cash too much, you know, because I'm sure he had certain orders from above that, okay, if this happens in the sixth inning after, after Snell goes through the lineup three times, or yeah, if he faces the lineup three times, okay, let's look to, replace him with this specific pitcher at the time. So, so so let me ask you this, Mike. Um, Now there's this new model where the front office do, does more predetermined moves and, yeah. you know, managers have to adhere to it, but has some level of discretion. Do you think that was good for the game or do you think it's, you know, kind of tainting the game and having um, managers be less important in a lot of ways? What are your thoughts on that? I actually don't mind the new model that you know general managers and managers um that they collaborate on putting together predetermined lineups um talking about you know bullpen changes and things like that there as opposed to just one singular person such as the manager themselves kind of making these moves on his own you know what i mean and that way the manager he can collaborate making strategic moves and he can also um, kind of talk with the players and kind of, you know, go over, go over chemistry issues and things like that too. Because I think a manager's job is not just kind of putting together lineups. I think it's also, you know, putting the dugout together, making sure everyone's in the same page. So I'm actually okay with it. What are your thoughts on that? I think it really depends on how the organization set up on how I feel about it. I think, I do agree with you. I think it shouldn't just be on the manager's shoulder to make every single decision. But I Mm -hmm. feel like the manager should have executive override if he doesn't agree with what's been predetermined, right? But if the front office or, you know, someone, the ownership wants to have that override and they become the ultimate spokesperson, that's where I, I... you know, that's where I, I don't like, right? Or at least I think that that dilutes the game a little bit where yeah. um, it becomes more of a executive decision rather than a guy that you hired and trust to know the players and know baseball. And the guys, are managers are guys who've been in the league for a while, either as a player or as a coaching scouting staff for a long time. So you sh- he should have the ultimate say in it. And he does take all the heat when things go wrong, right? Like Kevin Cash took tons of heat for it. And I'm sure, like you said, it probably was a collective decision. Um, but in in a good organization, I feel like Kevin Cash should have the override if he felt like, you know, the analytics and the front office all wanted Snell to come out. He should have the override to say, no, I'm keeping him in. And I think the game yeah. is built like that, right? Because that's why the manager is usually the one that goes up goes to the mound to change out the pitchers because it's built so that the managers could have that discretion. It's not just like a call from, from someone else to be able to pull him. So it's, so I think to keep the game pure and to keep the game more on the shoulders of the manager, I will want him to have ultimate say. So. Yeah. Let's hope that, you know, most managers have the final say on things because they're ultimately, they have to answer all these questions at the end of the day. You know, and it's really on them. So let's yeah. let's hope that okay that there is a collaboration. And at the end of the day, um, the manager guess, gets to readjust yeah. accordingly. 
I guess one last thing to say on that is I, I yeah. the, the people I do worry about isn't like Kevin Cashman or Bruce Bochy or any of the veteran uh, managers. I think the veteran managers will have a stronger say and they will take an audible and go disagree. I worry more about those newer managers or the managers that are just coming up and becoming managers for the first time. Those are the guys that are going to be a little bit more hesitant to go against the grain, but then not realize later that they're going to be the ones taking all the heat. And so I think yeah. for their sake, I'm, I'm a little bit worried for them. <laughs> and hopefully mm. um, they feel empowered um, to be like those veteran um, managers to be able to push back if um, the front office makes some moves that they are not comfortable with. Yep, absolutely. Let's talk about um, game six and what happened during game six here. I believe it was either um, inning number six or inning seven in which Justin Turner was notified by Major League Baseball um, that he had a, um, a positive test for COVID-19. And he actually had to be pulled from the game and moved away from the dugout. After the Dodgers won the World Series that night, um, Turner came back onto the field. He took pictures, a group picture with everyone. It looked like he was kind of uh, maybe giving some handshakes here and there. Uh, what are your thoughts, Jerry, on the you know that celebration? And do you think it's tolerable? Yeah, so what I read is that um, he had a test earlier in the day, came back with um, some mixed results or unknown results. So he took another test, but the results weren't going to come back in time for the game. So he played anyways. Mm-hmm. They found out in the second ah. inning, and they tried to pull him in the second inning, but the front office was still talking with doctors and trying to figure out if the test was authenticated, all that stuff. Yeah, it wasn't until, I believe, the seventh, beginning of the seventh inning where they actually pulled him. And after they pulled him, they put him in isolation, and then he insisted on going onto the field to take one picture and then leave the field. Turns right. out, once he's on the field, he was hugging teammates. He was being close, no social distancing. <laughs> he was on the field for a good 20 minutes is what I read. So I I think the league messed up here overall, right? The league and the organization messed up here. I don't think Justin Turner should have been on the field until it was confirmed that he, was, um, he had a negative test. He's putting, yeah. I think, the lives of that dugout in danger. And I think the players will be okay. I think the players are, you know, athletic guys and they're, you know, younger and a lot of stuff. So the impact of COVID to them might have been okay. But I think the coaches and the umps are the ones that are going to be in the vulnerable category. Dave Roberts is a cancer survivor, right? So he's definitely going to be a person I worry about if he does con- contract COVID-19. He'll be a, definitely on the very at-risk category and would – would, would um, suffer pretty severe symptoms if we were to get it. And there was definitely pictures of them taking like pretty close pictures of Turner and Dave Roberts together. And I'm just like cringing at that picture. <laughs> but it's a yeah. failure of the league, failure of the system. I, I, I'm very disappointed in both organizations, MLB organization and Dodgers, um, for not stepping in and taking more responsibility and and, and having this play on. And I think the Dodgers did get lucky that they were able to close out game six because I, I, with this positive result, if there was a game seven, it will be a question whether or not they would have played the next day. And if they do play, I don't think Turner and any other player would be who has a positive result would be out there. And that could be some key people in the locker room. It could be Betts. It could be, you know, um, Seager or whoever it is out there that he came in contact with. And they might not be showing symptoms, but they're going to be contagious. They're going to be putting, you know, the locker room manager at risk. <laughs> you know, like people like that who are, are typically elderly um, and who knows who has pre-existing conditions as well. And I think um, this is part of the reason why guys like David Price decided to sit out for the season is they they knew something like this might happen. And if they're in a more uh, vulnerable category for COVID uh, impact and COVID um, symptoms, they don't want to put themselves at risk and you can't blame them. And especially seeing Justin Turner out there celebrating like that, you definitely can understand a little bit more on why they decided to opt out for the season. Um, 
So very unfortunate situation overall. I don't think Justin Turner should be getting all the heat. I think all the heat should be on the league and on the organization itself and whoever okayed him to actually go out on the field. And I would assume that's someone from the front office of the Dodgers. Um, so Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I heard that a couple executives from the Dodgers organization actually approved of him, you know, going down onto the field and everything. Um, if that's true, that's that's um, I think those actions should be penalized there, um, meaning that it could be a form of suspension for next year or some other um, type of punishment. But uh, I hope the, the league actually addresses this and, and improves upon his protocols moving forward. Yep. And it just shows like uh, uh, some organizations, some people uh, don't see COVID-19 as like a very dangerous, you know, element. Right. And yeah. it, it kind of reveals that. I know us in California, definitely most of us don't feel that way. And we shouldn't feel that way. I believe in my opinion, um, especially when there's people that you could put in danger and could have serious impacts if, if they were to contract it. So so very unfortunate overall, and I hope um, in the next few days we find out if the league will you know, issue any punishments or anything like that. But um, I'll be very disappointed if they don't. So. Yep. All right. Let's, um, let's move to the NFL, Jerry. Yes. So the 49ers, um, you know, they beat the Rams a couple Sundays ago. And uh, this past Sunday, <laughs> they actually went over to Foxborough and uh, – and um, kind of beat up on the Patriots uh, there. We scored over 30 points, and we limited the Patriots to six uh, points here. What are your uh, thoughts about the win? Yeah, overall, I think um, I've been saying, you know, which Niner team are we seeing? This time I'm going to say, which Patriot team did we see there? <laughs> that was very yeah. surprising to see how um, – how much the Niners were able to stop um, Cam Newton and that team just looked like they weren't ready. Um, they were home. So I think the excuses are pretty slim for them. And overall, that was an impressive outing. Uh, obviously Jeff Wilson Jr. Uh, with 17 carries, 112 yards and three touchdowns. Amazing, right? His career high, probably, you know, the best day of his life until he got hurt. <laughs> so it seems to be like a yeah. constant theme there. And I hope he gets better soon. I, last I heard, he's going to be at IR. So very unfortunate. But he definitely proved that he belonged in the league. So you should feel happy about that fact. And I'm, I'm just amazed that he, him being our what, like third um, backup or fourth backup at that point, <laughs> he's able to, to put out an impressive starting running back type numbers. And he looked really comfortable out there. And I'm also feeling encouraged that once he went out, Hasty actually looked really good as well. He was um, playing hard. And Tony Romo even compared him to Marshawn Lynch, which, wow, you know, <laughs> that's a huge comparison. I know it's only one guy comparing, but that's Tony Romo. He's the guy that knows the games and is um, is the football whisperer, if you were. And people give him a lot of credit for that. And Jimmy G, I mean, 277 yards and two ints. Um, not that great of a performance, uh, 79.6 quarterback rating. But I think with Jeff Wilson Jr. doing so well out there, he didn't need to be that quarterback um, that threw tons of touchdowns. Um, so that was highly encouraging. And Brian, Brandon Ayuk with six receptions, 115 yards was definitely – Definitely awesome to see as well. Um, he, wow, you know, <laughs> the guy definitely is a beast. Um, they used him more on the jet sweeps um, type plays. And I think they have to do that more for the next game with Debo Samuels out, unfortunately. Um, but it's assuring to know that he's able to do that. And with Kittle out there as well, looking awesome. And um, uh, Cusack, Kyle Cusack, uh, I believe, was also awesome out there. I think they, they used him in a very creative ways, um, not just as a blocking fullback, but um, I believe he had his first first touchdown of, the, of his um, career with the Niners, so that's um, congrats to him. And um, Overall, I think the, the Niners did awesome. Kyle Shanahan drew, drew some pretty awesome schemes and definitely threw off um, the Patriots defense, and um, yeah, um, Mike, what do you think about the game? Yeah, I, you know, those are my initial thoughts there. And, you know, with Jeff Wilson's um, injury, who do you, who do we think is going to uh, carry the ball next? Um, the next three running backs um, there is uh, Jermichael Hasty, 
uh, Tevin Coleman will be coming out of IR and uh, McKinnon, who has been very, who hasn't been, uh, he hasn't been playing a lot of snaps uh, the past day or past couple uh, games. Do you see Hasty or Coleman um, coming out of there with some, with a big game against the Seahawks? Or do you see them implementing McKinnon a little bit more. Yeah, no. yeah. In the post uh, game conference, um, Kyle Shanahan said McKinnon. They want to give McKinnon more rest. And I don't buy it. I think they're just scheming more for um, Jeff Wilson Jr. playing, um, playing running hard. And I think that's more of the style that um, Kyle Shanahan wants to see from his running back. Knowing that was his dad's style in Denver. Um, that was, you know, mm-hmm. um, I will I will lean towards the next game having. Hasty having a big day. I know Coleman's just getting back, and I would see Kyle Shanahan being a little bit more trigger shy and using Coleman too much, right? So I would I would expect more of a 50-50 split between Hasty and Coleman. I think he's learning from the Jeff Wilson Jr. injury that when a guy comes back, you kind of have to watch out. Um, even though Jeff Wilson had an awesome game, um, the results um, show that he, he did get hurt, right? And I don't I know Kyle right now and the Niners can't afford to have another injured injured running back. Um, so, yeah, so I would say a 50-50 split between uh, Hasty and Coleman, and then they'll put McKinnon in for a change of pace. Um, I would expect maybe they'll run more jet sweeps with him as well, right? Uh, who knows with yeah. um, with Kyle Shanahan. The guy, the guy is a master of creativity and moving uh, his players around and um, I thought it was amazing, like I said, with Kyle's use check on the way um, he was being used in this last game. Yeah, it's a good trio to have there, especially when you lose um, when you lose Mostert and uh, and last week's leading rusher. There's good to have depth at that position, and uh, I'm glad that uh, that Coleman's coming back here, and uh, we got a little bit more rest for McKinnon. And I'm just kind of looking forward to see what uh, what Hasty can offer um, once he's given an opportunity to play um, a full game. Yep. Let's talk about uh, the decline in New England. Is it time to panic over there for Patriots fans, or is it just, or is this just a little blimp on the road? Yeah, I think um, for yeah. for Belichick and his team. Yeah, I think for the Patriots, one of the big um, facts that came out is that. Um, you know, the Patriots had eight opt-outs um, due to COVID-19, um, including their tackle, Marcus Canyon, and um, linebacker, Deonta Hightower, and then safety, Patrick Chung, right? Those are huge losses to the team, and not to mention, like, um, a few other players there. So so I think that's a big impact um, on defensive end and on the offensive end. They lost a few players as well. So with that depth there, I think um, they definitely definitely suffered a little bit and as far as Cam Newton goes, um, I wouldn't put this game completely on him, but I don't think he's absolved of all blame. Right? <laughs> he looked really uh, shaky out there. And, and and this is the second game where he looked really shaky. I think last week he got a pass because he was just coming back from those um, from the COVID um, quarantine. So um, if I was in New England shoes, I would panic because it's the end of the dynasty. And is Tom Brady's role with New England Patriots a lot bigger than we have imagined? And was it a mistake for them to take, um, you know, to let Tom Brady go and not give him his due? And, you know, having Cam Newton seem like a really rushed um, backup plan for Brady. Um, it was a good move, I think, to bring him in because at least they're in the picture in contention <laughs> for a lot of their games. But yeah. once Newton starting to starting to fizzle out and what's their plan now and um once they put jared uh Stidham in there that that guy didn't look as well as look didn't look ready right he didn't look like a quarterback that that was ready to to lead the team and it was just uh overall we pretty panicked uh if i was the patriots um and uh, it just didn't seem like that your typical patriot team that goes out there and if they lose one more game they're going to tie for their most consecutive losses since the Belichick era um, four, right? So um, I guess the bright spots for them is uh, I think Damian Harris actually looked pretty good. I know the stat sheet wasn't there, but he looked like um, he's emerging as their starting running back. Um, previously, I think James White and Rex Burkett and Sony Michelle have been um, you know, in discussions, but in the last game, 
I think they used Damian Harris a little bit more and he was able to get get some yardage um, in a game that they were completely stuffed. Um, that at least there was a bright spot on offense for him. And I think they're still having a lot of um, problems from the receiving end. Um, there's no clear right receiver anymore. Um, I think Julian Edelman had been that guy for a while, but um, last few games, he's also looked really bad. And I don't know if he's dealing with an injury or or something's happening there, but he de- definitely doesn't look like the Julian Edelman of old. And Nikhil Harry yeah. got hurt in the game as well. So that that's that's their two best right receivers that are down. Um, so I would suspect that you know, if the season doesn't go well for them, they're they're going to invest in some receiving help and possibly a new QB, right? So, so yeah, so yeah, I'm just looking at their, I'm just looking at some of their the roster here and the stat sheet, and it it just looking at their wide receivers and some of their um, some of their running backs, it just it looks very mediocre, and we kind of have to ask ourselves was the tom brady factor that significant when he was with the patriots all the these years and uh you know just looking at the last just watching like this season itself i think the the clear answer is yes that tom brady was a huge factor for this team and he made a lot of his teammates a lot better um there and uh you know josh mcdaniels he's been uh, tom brady's and the patriots uh, offensive coordinator uh, for many years and look at this Tom with Tom Brady is his um, the record for QBs was about the 77 percent tile clip wow. while 10 other QBs that played under Josh McDaniels they had like a 28 and 41 record um, there so it's definitely a big drop off um, from what they're used to and you know hopefully they can uh, figure it out you know, either by playing Cam Newton a little bit more or by seeing if, uh, if Stidham um, can produce moving yeah, forward. Yeah, and, and Tom Brady's doing well with uh, Tampa Bay as well, right? So he's having, you know, a, a pretty breakout season from for um, any Tampa Bay uh, quarterback there. And I expected that to happen because they had a lot more weapons, right? Like compared compared to um, what the Patriots had, they, they're just signed on Antonio Brown. So AB's back and reunited with Tom Brady. They already have Mike Evans. Chris Godwin's there. Um, OJ Howard was there. You know, I know he's gone for season, but they also have Gronk back. So he has two familiar faces that I know there's only one game with AB, but with Antonio Brown, that one game was, it was impressive. And they definitely had some chemistry there. And so now they're back together. They're looking, they're looking sharp and and unstoppable for that division. So I think Tom Brady brings a lot of um, a lot of the X factor into into um, into a team, and just very underrated in a lot of ways. And I think it's probably a lot of little things as well that he's probably doing that we don't see on the field. Uh, I think he's probably coaching, you know, young receivers up in his off time and and spending a little bit more focus and adjusting a lot of um, the offensive line and giving them tips as well. I know he's been known to be, you know, treating the offensive line really well, like taking them out to dinner and creating those chemistry with them. And, and you can't underestimate that fact. And I know, I don't know if Cam Newton's doing that. Uh, <laughs> in some ways I doubt he's doing that. And especially with COVID-19, you can't do that. Right. So it's uh it's definitely going to be a different adjustment. And I don't know if Cam Newton is their long-term future or not. Um, I think the next few games will, will determine that. And if he can bounce back, um, it'll, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Yeah, absolutely. There um, looking into uh, this Sunday, uh, the 49ers will be playing Seattle Seahawks. I actually anticipate uh, this to be a close game and a well-fought battle. As they, uh, as they always, as they always produce, yeah. every time they face each other, um, here just some Seattle news. Uh, it looks like Chris Carson is day to day with a foot sprain. Um, Carlos Hyde, a former 49er, will be back um, playing for the Seahawks, and also from the Seahawks and quarter, uh, yeah, cornerback Shaquille Griffin is also on the concussion protocol. Um, as well. Do you see anything differently on how you view this game, Jerry, or do you also see a close game um, 
Yeah, I do see quarter. it's going to be a close game. I mean, the Seattle games in the past have been really, really close. Uh, they just play us really hard. Uh, in some ways, they're a matchup nightmare for us, mainly because you have Russell Wilson, who's a mobile quarterback, and and then you have G.K. Metcalf, who's you know the premier receiver, but with Tyler Lockett actually leading the league in receptions and yards. So um, it's definitely going to be a challenge. Our secondary has to step up, step up like they did in the last few games, and uh, hopefully we can get some pass rushing there so that Russell Wilson won't have all that time to make plays. It'll be interesting to see. I think on the offensive end, we're, we're uh, in better shape in some ways. I think um, their defense is, like like you said, they're one of their best cornerbacks is in concussion protocol and probably won't be able to play. Um, we'll have to keep an eye out on that. But it's uh, it'll be interesting. I think it'll be really close. It'll be a fun game, I think, overall. And um, it will speak volumes on how we how we play them, and you know the last game with um, Seattle and the Cardinals was also really close nail biter, right? So I think anybody in our division, it's going to be it's going to be tight, and, and it's going to be extremely important that we win this game. So um, so yeah, I'm excited to see it. Um, we'll 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 have to see. I think it will be a great matchup either way, and I just have to give props to Russell Wilson. That guy is. An amazing quarterback and a, a huge playmaker. So, uh, so yeah, so it'll be a fun game. Yeah, let's talk about uh, some other news around the league and its impact that's felt on the on the teams here. Um, some key injuries: um, Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, looks like he torn his ACL, um, missing a tackle after an interception. You yeah. always hate to see that when an offensive player gets hurt for making a defensive play um, here. And then also uh, quarterback Andy Dalton from the Cowboys uh, received a concussion when he received a, a hit from linebacker uh, John Bostick um, here. So it looks like, you know, injuries are piling up in the NFL there. Do you see it slowing down anytime yeah, I... soon or – do you see this kind it's of It's rough, man. I think <laughs> I think not having a preseason and not having OTAs is definitely impacting a lot of the uh, players' conditioning and a lot of um I guess the way you play, right? Like, I think you you have to get used to the field, get used to being in football shape and getting used to taking certain hits or delivering certain hits in Odell Beckham's uh, uh, case. So it's just when you're out of that element, out of that routine, it, it definitely has an impact. And I do expect more injuries to come. Um, I, I feel really bad for Odell um, Beckham Jr. I think that play was just a horrible play <laughs> for those who missed it. I think it was just – yeah, yeah uh, Baker Mayfield threw a ball that was underthrown and got intercepted, and then Odell Beckham ran back to try to tackle him and got hurt on that play. And then they also lose an offensive lineman in that play. It was just like a total disaster for the Browns there, and it, it definitely has a huge impact. And then for Andy Dalton, I man, man, that that hit by John Bostic um, right after Andy has given himself up, that was that was shameful, right? The league should definitely come down on him. There's yeah. no business like that for the league, uh, for any player to be doing things like that. And the league should, should come down hard on him and make it, make sure to set an example and say those type of hits are unacceptable. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, um, I know the Niners have been suffering probably the most injuries out of any team in the league, but I, I do suspect there's going to be more injuries to come in the future, unfortunately. And I, I were the good news is we're already halfway through the season. I mean, that's, it seems like it flew by. right? And then hopefully knock on wood that right. the players do get more into their groove and more into, um, you know, game shape and hopefully they still keep up their conditioning somehow. And then we can see, you know, reduce injury, and I hope I'm wrong on on the injuries continuing. Yeah, yeah. Let's just hope the let's just hope injuries are reduced on the second half of the season. Um, there just feels like it just feels like there's just so many um, players on the injury report for every team. It's not just the Niners. It's just it feels like every single team um, has a whole bunch of injuries. I don't know if it's because of um, the lack of uh, kind of training camp days or lack of preseason. But, uh, you know, there's definitely been more like ACL type injuries and leg type injuries um, this season 
um, as opposed to uh, yeah, and, and, it's injuries to people who are a little bit surprising, like you know, Christian McCaffrey, for example. Um, you know, the guy's been healthy for uh, almost all of his career, right? I don't think he's been hurt in Stanford or any. Uh, and last season, obviously, he played throughout the whole season. So he he doesn't have a history of injury. But this season, he was, he had to miss, um, you know, seven, I think six games, right? I think he missed six or so, five or six games. So it's it's a surprising thing. And I ha- I contribute that to conditioning and I have a off season. So, um, but yeah, hopefully as time goes on and now, you know, we're way past the the preseason type uh, mode, right? <laughs> that uh, hopefully the players are now in their group. All right, all right. Let's uh, conclude our episode with uh, some sports picks here. So it looks like we will be uh, doing a format change, mm-hmm. Jerry, on how we will kind of talk about this yeah. topic. Yeah. Uh, so. Overall, I think we've uh, previously have been giving um, picks for uh, against the spread uh, around the league, but I think um, to make it more interesting, I think we're just going to hone into our Bay Area teams, uh, specifically going to be Niners and Raiders okay. at this point. And then I think uh, we, me and Mike have a pretty lively discussion sometimes <laughs> when it comes to to picking uh, picking these spreads. Uh, I think it's just more entertaining for the viewers and or listeners rather. Um, if we just focus in and, and um, yeah, and then by the time you listen to this, uh, a lot of the games do well be happening already. So it's, uh, it's probably better we just stick with our, our local area picks. Um, so I think the first game up is what we talked about, the Niners plus three versus the Seahawks. And then the over-under is 54. So my personal pick, I'm going with the Niners, baby. <laughs> I think worth the spread. So yes. you learned your Finally. lesson the last few weeks not to pick against. Yeah, I think it'll be a Niners close game. Here. So the plus three is awesome. I would take that field goal, right? I think that okay. if anything, it'll probably give me like a push or whatever. <laughs> so I think oh, I'm picking Niners plus three and the over under. Oh, I'm going to go under on this one. Oh, our defenses are banged up, but we still have. Um, you know, still have pretty good defenses out there. I think we've always played in tough. We always played tight game with the Seahawks. So 54, I feel like, is pretty high. I think it's one of the highest over-under lines in all in every game this Sunday, right? Um, I think there was only one game that was 58. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I'll go for the under here. It might um, might be a surprise, and hopefully I will be because I do like high-scoring games. But, you know, if I had to take, take one of the sides, I would say under. How about you, Mike? Yeah, I actually agree with you um, here. I think the 49ers will take this game, and I'm going to go under on that 54-point spread um, here. So, yeah, there's not too much different from from your My lesson, I've been so wrong about about them. (laughs) So so I think this is great. Like, (laughs) Yeah, and I think I have – well, I think I have my – I think I have my reasons for it because um, I think the Niners, I think they're playing at uh, home, right? I believe so, yeah. This, yeah. This Sunday? Or... Yeah, I think they're playing at home and the Seahawks, I think they played actually, a whole they're lot playing, of Actually, they're playing in Seattle. Uh, Sorry, they're playing past... in Seattle. Yeah. Oh, they yeah. are playing past in Seattle. Seattle. Yep. Okay. Okay. Well, I think also having no fans mm-hmm. in Seattle no would fans. definitely help yep. visiting teams. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the Seahawks actually played a whole lot more snaps um, there in overtime versus the Cardinals um, this past mm-hmm. Sunday night. True, too. So the fatigue factor may also play a may may also and that was a Sunday uh, night football game too, here. right? So I think there's a slightly few more hours of yep. rest that we got. <laughs> Not sure if that'll make a difference, but it's, you yes, know, every yes. every hour counts. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, how about the Raiders versus the Browns? I believe the Raiders are the Browns yes, are favorite Browns are by favorite two and a half. half, and it's in Cleveland. So okay, and the okay in Cleveland, and the over under is fifty three point yeah. five. So my pick for this game, um, I'm taking actually the Browns minus two and a half. Unfortunately, I know a lot of people are probably taking the Raiders here because Odell's out. Um, you know, I don't know if Landry's coming back for this game, but you know, Baker Mayfield, I think, still has an X factor here. I think he 
he still gets it done. And lately, the Raiders have um, haven't looked themselves. At least the last game with the Buccaneers, they, they like Josh Jacobs looks um, a lot worse than he has ever been, and uh, David Carr is also. Um, you know, playing well, but not that well, right? He had through one interceptions, two touchdowns, and 284 yards. Um, but they're they're receiving help. I think they got some surprising uh, help from Aguilar. But you know, other than that, I think their second best wide receiver was Darren Waller, <laughs> who's their tight end. So I think uh, I think the defense for yeah. um, the Browns is underrated. Um, I think um, Miles uh, Miles, what's his name? Miles Gath- Garrett. Um, Miles Garrett for the Browns will uh, is a lot better player than most people realize, and he was named uh, Defensive Player of the Month uh, in October. So, so they'll definitely give him problems. I've noticed that Derek Carr has um, once he's rushed, he's definitely a different player, right? So there's definitely going to be a pass rush that he's going to see this weekend that's going to be better than most uh, pass rushes he's ever seen. And then for 53 and a half, I just still think that's a huge line. So I'm going to take the under there as well. Um, but I won't feel as comfortable about it as I deal with the Niners because um, I could easily see this game be- becoming a shootout. Um, but like I said, I do, I do think yeah. Miles Garrett is um, is going to be a, a huge factor in this game. So I think the under, under sticks for me. Okay. My pick, I will actually pick the Raiders to win this game. Here. And I have a couple, maybe not maybe not logical reasons, but I just don't think the Browns are going to win two in a row here. And I believe that the Raiders are coming off a loss and they're going to be pissed off and Gruden is going to scheme this game really well um, here. And I don't think they have too many major injuries on the offensive side of the ball. Um, so I think the Raiders will come out firing and I believe that they will go over I mean, you sure? Point five. You sure about that? So it's going to be a shootout. <laughs> I think it's going to be. A, I think it's going so to be. The Browns a have a loss at home this season. Um, just to let you know, so, <laughs> so that's a fun fact as well. And and it'll be yeah, interesting to see if yeah. weather comes in play. I know in Cleveland, it's starting to get a little bit chilly out there. So, um, you know, some people do better in the cold than others, and I don't think uh, I don't think they see much cold in Vegas there. So, <laughs> so that, that might be a factor. <laughs> yeah, so we will see, and I think, and I'm, you know, we're looking forward to uh, to watching these yep. games these week this weekend. All right, so should we give our Twitter All right. handles? I think that Twitter, uh, Twitter that concludes. Too. Yeah, yeah. So if our viewers want to uh, follow you, Jerry, and and talk to you about some sports yep. news, how can they? So uh, my Twitter handle is Mind of Jerry one one uh, number one one uh, Mind of Jerry. So you can find me there. Yep, and you can uh, find me at Mike, and that'll be the number four, O-H, and the number eight here. So, uh, yeah, this is uh, episode four of the MJ Sportscast Show. Uh, For Jerry Yang, I'm Mike Tang. We will see you.